chapter number 6. Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> Did not mention a moment ago, but pray for the Whitlers. Uh, I know Mr. and Mrs. Whitler are uh, just kind of been up and down also, and they would appreciate our prayers. was over with them the other day and visiting with them, and, and I know um, it can be a little discouraging sometimes when you're not able to get out like you'd like to, uh, but uh, pray for the Whitler family also as you would think of it. Matthew chapter 6 is where we'll begin this morning. In verse number 19, a very familiar verse, uh, let, let us read that verse together. The Word of God says, lay not, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there where your heart be also. If you're in a habit of marking your Bible, I'd mark those phrases. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In the end of the verse, of verse 21, the Bible says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I want to emphasize this morning upon those words, lay up. Those words lay up mean to gather and or to store up. You're, you're compiling together as, as a, a farmer would bring together all the crops and, and they would store them in the grain bins or elsewhere. They would, they would store them together. They would bring them together. So the Bible tells us that we as people on this earth, whether Christian or not, we all are laying up treasures in some form. Are you with me? We all are laying up treasures in some form. The Bible says lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That is, the things which we are to be storing up are to be those things which are spiritual. The things which we are to be storing up or, or uh, gathering together in our life are the things which are to be of Christ, the things which are heavenly, the things which are not earthly. That's why verse 19 tells us so clearly, lay not up for yourselves where treasures upon earth. Let me ask you, Christian, what treasures are you laying up? What treasures are you laying up? What are you storing together in the life that you're living on this earth? What are you bringing together? If you were to look at your life and examine it now, and all that you are doing, working your job, making a living in your family, your marriage life, everything that you do from every pattern of living that you have in your life, would it describe you laying up treasures in heaven? would describe you laying up things which are spiritual and things which are not earthly. And I say many Christians, it's not that they do not know God. It's not that they do not love God. In fact, it's not even in many cases that they've not given their life to God. But when it comes to laying up treasures in heaven, it's another story. How easy it is as a man or woman on this earth to lay up treasures on this earth of so many other things. We can be so focused upon our jobs. We can be so focused upon our schedules. We can be so focused upon our families before God himself. But yet the heavenly things is nothing which exists upon this earth. It's all those things that are godly, all those things that are Christ-focused, all those things that serve a purpose of Christ in the end. I want you to turn with me next to Ecclesiastes chapter number 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. In Sunday school, we were in the book of Ecclesiastes. I got a little nervous. I thought Brother Anderson was going to 
steal my message this morning, but uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, he was in chapter 6, so uh, we're okay on that. Ecclesiastes 5, and we'll begin looking in verse number 18, keeping this thought in mind, laying up. What is it that we are laying up? What is it that we are gathering up, we are storing up? Verse 18, behold, that which I have seen, it is good and comely. For one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life which God giveth him. For it is, in, for it is his portion. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he shall not much remember the days of his life because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. I want you to notice a few things in in these verses as we just read. The Bible tells us that which is good and comely. The Bible continues in verse 18 to say, enjoy the good of all his labor. Enjoy the good of all his labor. The end of the verse, verse 18, which God giveth. Where does the labor come from? It comes from God. Verse 19, the Bible says to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. And in verse 20, the Bible tells us of the joy of the heart. The joy of the heart. I want to talk to you this morning about enjoying the gift of laboring. Enjoying the gift of laboring. The Bible tells us in verse 18 to enjoy the good of all his labor. Somebody says, well, you don't understand, Pastor Miller. Uh, My job, my labor, my life is a very, very discouraging life. Uh, The things which I'm going through, the things which my boss is doing, the things, the finance that I'm receiving from my job or you fill in the blank, it's a miserable life. Somebody says, wait a minute, Pastor Miller, I already enjoy it. I've got everything I could ever ask for, everything I could ever want. I'm happy with my life. Let me ask you this. When we talk about the gift of laboring, do you find joy in your labor because God has given it to you? See, here's the principle here. The Bible says, lay not up for yourselves treasures which are on this earth, but we are to lay up treasures in heaven, things which are heavenly, things which are godly, things which are spiritual. But how true it is that many Christians are laying up many treasures with their, in their labor of life on this earth. They have a lot to say for themselves here on this earth. You look at their credit score, great credit score. <laughs> you look at their house, great house, huge house. Uh, you look at their, their, their property, man, they've got property to do something with. Maybe they have a farm, look at their farm. Uh, maybe maybe you've, uh, you've got a good job, look at their job. Maybe they've got a big family, look at their family. They've got a lot to say. A lot of people could say, wow, look at what you have about what's on this earth. But what about the fact that God has given it to you? Do you find joy? Do you find joy in what God has given to you? What I'm trying to tell you is, is the very idea of our labor, the context that he's speaking of in verse number 18 through 20, enjoy the good of all his labor. He's speaking of all of life, all parts of life. See, well, again, Pastor Miller, I've learned to just take things one day at a time, and I just, I just enjoy it the best that I can. I just make the most out of it. But do you rejoice in your labor, in your life, because it is a gift from God? The Bible says, and in, in, as we've just read in verse 18, which God giveth, the end of verse 19, to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. So 
Somebody says, well, I thought the gift of God was salvation. Well, that is true. The gift of God is salvation, but truth be told, the gift first began with life, <laughs> our labor. And it was because of our labor that caused us to sin. It was because of our labor that sin now exists in this earth. And the Bible tells us that we should find ourselves rejoicing in life because not of the circumstances that we're facing at that moment, but because it is a gift from God. Because the life that we have, the job that you have, the family that you have, the property that you own, the possessions of your life, the treasures of this earth are as a result and because of God. Amen? Amen. I think all of us would write short forwardly say, yes, it's God who provided this for me. But how many times do we often find ourselves doing the opposite of rejoicing in our labor? In fact, in some ways, we covet and wish we had more. At other times, catch this, we become so focused on our labor that we lose sight of who it even came from. Let me ask you, Christian, has your labor, has your life, your treasures on this earth consumed and overtaken the emphasis that God should have on your life? What I'm saying is, is your labor, that what you do on this earth, is it so much more important than any the uh, thing that you could ever do for God? Or would it be just the opposite? Is anything you could ever do for God so much more important than your job? You want to bring your family with you? It's more important than your own possessions. It's more important than everything else that you could ever have on this earth. You see, you notice verse 20. The Bible says, For he shall not much remember the days of his life, because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. You know what that means? The individual who learns to rejoice, to enjoy the good of all his labor, is the individual who someday when he goes to be with Christ in heaven, he say, I have no regrets. I may not have had a mansion on this earth. I may not have had all the things that I would have desired. I may not, may, may not even have made all the money that I would have wanted to make in my lifetime. I may not have done all the things that I wanted to accomplish on earth. Maybe, I, maybe you didn't even get married. Uh, maybe you didn't, weren't able to have children. You say, I didn't have those things. I didn't have those things. But the individual who simply finds joy in the labor of life because it's a gift from God is the one who says, I have no regrets. I've given my best for Jesus Christ. I've given it all to Jesus Christ. He comes first. I'm committed to him first. Truth be told, you know, COVID-19 has mixed things up for us, but I think many Christians have allowed themselves, we use the word, to backslide a little bit in their relationship with God. Our commitment level to God is not as strong even as it should be. You say, wait a second, but COVID was a serious thing. I'm not just talking about COVID, but that really, I believe Satan used that, not to, not to put a damper on that it wasn't in effect people's lives. I believe Satan used that to help and cause people to backslide more. But Christians, what I'm saying is, are you so committed to God that your labor, your life, comes second. We, we all would say, yes, God is first in my life, but here's the truth of the matter is, our labor, our money, our income, our life runs pretty close second, if not right at second. Probably better, better said, closer to first. It's right up there. Oh, it's very important to us. But see, it is the Christian who learns to live by faith and be happy and rejoice in living by faith in God. 
rather than living for the wealth and the possessions of this earth. Here, in the book of Ecclesiastes, we see such a great description of the vanity of vanities. Ecclesiastes 1, verse 2, he says, all is vanity. All through the first two chapters, he describes the vanity of life. What is vanity? It's as, it's, it's, it is, as he describes, it's a vapor. Life is as a vapor. It's, it's something that has, it has nothing to grab. It, it really has no, serves no purpose. Here's Solomon, a man of, uh, of we, we talked about this in Sunday school, of 700 wives, of great wealth, of, of, of great wisdom. Here he's got everything a man could ever ask for. And he says, here's what I've learned. Everything under the sun, everything the sun could ever shine on, it's all vanity. And here's what I've learned, that my labor, all that God has given me is a gift. And I should find myself simply rejoicing and living by faith and trusting in what God has given me for that time and making him first in my life. When I say many Christians have allowed God to run a very close first, more like a second. I want, you, I want to talk to you this morning about some things that can keep you from enjoying the gift of laboring. Some things that can keep you from enjoying the gift of laboring before we get to those points in Ecclesiastes 5, I want you to notice with me in Ecclesiastes 2, just a page over. Ecclesiastes 2, in verse number 17, notice what Solomon says, man of great wives, wealth, and wisdom. 2, verse 17, therefore, were those next three words, I hated life. Because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me. For all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Yea, I hated all my labor, which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. What purpose is it really serving? It's not helping me. It's not laying up treasures for me up in heaven. In fact, at the very least, it's only leaving treasures for the person that follows after me. But what purpose has it really served for me in my relationship with God? Hey, Christian, I'm talking to some maybe that have allowed themselves to become so, and I might be stepping on some toes here this morning, but here, truth be told, some that are so not committed to God in their relationship with him that their job, their labor, their work, their life comes first. Here's what Solomon's saying. Christian, you're a believer in Christ. You know the Lord. Your labor should come second at the very least. God should come first. Amen? Colossians, the Bible tells us that in all things he may have the preeminence. The Bible tells us that he is before all things. He's before all things and is to be in our lives. In fact, uh, I've said this before, but it's not even hardly correct to even say that God is first because you cannot really truly give God a number. He is simply before all things. And that is how he is to be in our lives before all things. And so every step of obedience to God, whether it's faithfulness to church, every step of obedience to God, whether it's reading our Bible, every step of obedience to God, if it's praying, every step of obedience to God, if it's giving the gospel, everything that we do is done with the purpose of laying up treasures in heaven. Let me ask you, Christian, you may have all the treasures and things to say about what you're doing on this earth, but what do you have to say about what you are currently actively doing for God now? Not saying what you have done, saying what are you doing now? I've never understood as a pastor, uh, the, you know, some pastors say, well, I'm, re I'm retired. <laughs> you know, uh, tr truth be told, you ever really retire from your calling of God that's placed on you? 
Sure, God moves men in different ways, and he moves them to different places, and, and, uh, and sometimes he has a period of time where there's a pause, or maybe he feels that God, this isn't God's timing anymore to be out in the pastorate. But at the end of the day, do you really ever truly retire from your calling from God? Amen? We all have a calling. We've all been called of God to labor, not to lay up treasures for ourselves, but to labor and lay up treasures for things which are heavenly. That, because let's remember our very purpose in creation. We have been created for the honor and glory of God. I'm talking to some Christians that we are so uncommitted to God that even it's, it's hard for us even maybe to sit in a service such as this without our cell phone ringing and then responding to a text message without trying to keep going with our game that we're playing or without trying to keep our mind focused. How true it is that our commitments to God often come second place. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 26, notice the Bible says, For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner he giveth travail to gather and to heap up that he may give to him that is good before God. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. Here the sinner will gather up, so he's got a great job, so he works six days a week, so the paycheck looks good, so he's got a great family, so he's got all he can say about on this earth. So what if he's missing God? Let me ask you a question. How committed are you to Christ? I mean, how sold out are you to God? How faithful are you to him? It's sad to say, because we hear the older generation say it all the time, that the younger generation has lost the emphasis of learning how to be faithful. Learning how to be faithful. Learning to be where they should be, obey how they should be, and do what they should be doing. In many cases, it's not that they've not been taught right by their parents. It's that that child and or that individual doesn't want to do it. The Bible talks about being a hearer and a doer of the word not a hearer and the doer of the parent. Yes, we are to obey and we are to honor, but a hearer and the doer of the word first. God has to come first. Are you so committed to God that you would so much as say, and look, again, I'm, I, I, I'm very likely stepping on some toes, and you could throw something at me if you want to, but uh, uh, are you so committed to God that, that you would even say, you know what, if God touched my heart and led me possibly even quit my job in order to be more faithful and committed to God of laying up treasures in heaven than I would do it. Is that how committed you are to God? Are you so committed to God, Christian, that if God called you to go to the mission field, you'd drop everything and go right away? Are you so committed to God that if God called you to ministry, to be a pastor, to be a preacher, to be an evangelist, that you would drop everything and go right away? I may, may I say most Christians because of a, a lack of yielding to the Holy Spirit's power in our lives, and, and truth be told, a lack of love for God, have found themselves committed and more faithful to the things of this earth than the things of God. Christian, what about you? Do you enjoy the gift of laboring because it's from God? Or are you enjoying the gift of laboring because it's my job, it's my life, it's my family, it's my things? I tell you, I read this passage and God speaks to my heart. Because just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I'm laboring for God continuously. <laughs> just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I don't struggle with fleshly desires in my own life. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I, I don't have desires even in my own heart to, to say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to go... Uh, 
I, I want to have this house. I want to have this car. I want to do these things. I'm human just as you. I'm not saying this as though I'm better than you. I'm telling you, we all need this. Amen? We all need this. How committed, how faithful are you to God? Does God come before all things? There's one thing I can be thankful for my parents is that uh, when it was time to go to church, it was time to go to church. When we were on vacation, we'd go to church. Uh, when we were out of town, we'd go to church. And if we, didn't go to, if we didn't have a church to go to, Dad would have his Bible out and he'd preach his own sermon just to our family. But what that taught me was, is my dad was committed, faithful, not just to church, but first and foremost to God. And so when it was God's day, it's God's day. When it was time for devotions, it was time for devotions. When it was time to, uh, to, to give an emphasis upon God, we give emphasis upon God. There was always, the Bible talks about the times and the seasons of life. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the time, a time for this, a time for that, a time for this. There's times in all things. But our time is to be God's time. Why is it that we can live the Christian life with our time so uncommitted to Christ? could be that you're here this morning and you say, you know, I know he's talking about me. I know that this message is for me. Well, ask yourself, before the Lord, how committed are you to Christ? The Bible tells us of these things that keep you from enjoying the gift of laboring. Number one, the Bible tells us the area of worship. Of worship. You say, wait a second, what are you talking about? I thought worship is supposed to help me to be uh, faithful to God. I thought worship is supposed to encourage me. It's supposed to give me time and fellowship. It's supposed to be around other believers. Enjoying the gift of laboring and not allowing these things to keep you can come right from worship itself. Notice verse 1 of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. The Bible says, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. May I say this before we go further? Many things happen in churches that have nothing to do with God. Amen? God must be given his rightful place. The Bible says, keep thy foot. Why? What does the word of God say about our worship? Notice the Bible tells us of insincere sacrifices. Of insincere sacrifices. Verse 1, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give. That would be important to mark in your Bible. In fact, I've circled it in mine. Be more ready to hear than to give. The Bible says, that those who give, those who sacrifice, those who are giving without hearing first may as well leave their sacrifice. You might as well forget coming before the altar. You might as well forget putting your money in the offerings. Yes, I said that as a pastor, right? <laughs> we joke about that. But you, you might as well forget your sacrifices to God if you're not first a hearer of what God says. What does that word hearing mean? It's talking about obedience. The area of obedience. The Bible says, be more ready to hear than to give. Christian says, wait a second, I'm probably the biggest giver in this church. Somebody says, wait a second, I probably give the most of my time to this church. I serve in the most ministries. I probably spend the most time in the nursery. I'm the only one who works with the children. I'm the only one who works in the bus route. I'm the only one who works as an usher. I'm the only one who does it. The Bible says you might as well forget all your laboring, forget all your gifts, forget all your sacrifices. If you're not simply a hearer that is an obedient individual first. Because why do we labor? Because it's a gift from God. So therefore, the rejoicing in our labor should be as a result of and because of who God is. Amen? 
The Bible tells us insincere sacrifices. Once heard it said this way, offerings in the hands without obedient faith in the heart becomes a sacrifice of fools. I'll say that again. Offerings in the hands without obedient faith in the heart becomes a sacrifice of fools. The Bible calls you a fool. If you're more focused on your sacrifices, on your giving of your time, your talents, and your treasures, than you are about simply just hearing and obeying God first. When we put it in more blunt terms, God says, so, so what? You come on Sunday morning and you do absolutely everything. You sing in the choir, you sing specials, maybe you play an instrument, uh, maybe you are an usher, maybe you work in the children's programs. So what if you do all those things, but if you are forgetting all in who you are doing it for, you may as well not do it. Amen? Insincere worship. I wonder how many Christians are worshiping God insincerely. There's no sincerity of heart. If you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll find, especially in chapter 2, he says, my heart said, in my heart, my heart, my heart, it was always a heart decision. And I say, Christian, that's, that's at the end, end of the road. That's, that's exactly what it is. You can do it because the pastor asks you to. You can do it because you, you, you just say, well, it's just the right thing to do. Or you can do it because you are a hearer and obeyer of God's word. Insincere sacrifices. Let's consider our sacrifices. What are you giving? I'm not talking about money. First thing people think of when you talk about giving, we say money. Our time, our talents, our treasures, every part of our life, what are you sacrificing before God? Does God not tell us in Romans chapter 12 that we are to be a living sacrifice before him, holy and acceptable unto him? So the very first thing that's to be sacrificed before God is to be our body, our life. But yet how many times do we labor with our bodies? We labor with our life, and rather than laying up treasures in heaven, we lay up treasures upon this earth. I mean, Christian, can we set aside the time to put aside the electronics, to put aside the focus on the job, to put aside everything else and just focus on God? There's some fathers who need to work on this with their families. I know I put that, I'm in that boat. Having devotions with their family. Having devotions with their spouse. Having a personal devotion with Christ. Insincere worship. Because understand, worship's not just at church. Amen? Worship's in everyday life. But you can be insincere in your worship. When you're out on the farm, you're out of the factory, you're out at your job place. You're working, you're living, you're making a living. But God's not the reason why. Boy, we sure like it when we get the paycheck at the end. Boy, we sure like it when we get the weekends and we have time off. Boy, we love it when we get home and we can crash and sit on the recliner or go to sleep, right? But at the end of the day, the Bible tells us our treasures are to be laid up in heaven for Christ, for God. Again, let's not get confused with just the church. It's the individual. The worship begins with the individual. The praise, the honor, the glory, everything that's given from our life begins in your heart. Insincere worship, number two, insincere prayers. Notice verse two, be not rash with thy mouth and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and thou upon earth, therefore let thy words be few. Uh-oh, <laughs> I marked that, underlined that in my Bible. Let thy words be few. Solomon's giving a warning of really careless praying. We can be so quick to say, 
but not here. Uh, my, my pastor in Texas used to often say, anytime I'd ride the church bus or have a van uh, full of kids or teens, he would say, you know, one thing I've learned is the less you say, the better. In fact, when you just learn to listen, you can learn a lot about those teens. Truth be told, you, you hear about, you know, so-and-so like so-and-so, and so-and-so is going where, and, and you, you learn about their whole life. And then they say, how did you know that? By listening. Let me tell you, Christian, we can apply that many ways to our own life of learning to speak less and simply just listen to God. Amen? How many times our prayers can be so insincere that we're asking God, God, please, God, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to God, but are you listening to God? Somebody says, well, do you have a prayer life? You say, yeah, I have a prayer life. I talk to God every day. But do you listen to him? Because listening to him begins right here. Obedience to his word. If God's word says uh, that not to set, set anything before him, nothing is to be before him. The Bible tells us that there is not to be any graven image. There's not to be any graven image. If, the, if God's word says not to take his name in vain or to use his name flippantly, then don't take his name flippantly. If God says to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, then remember it and keep it holy. If God says to honor thy father and thy mother, then honor them and obey them and respect them. If God says not to kill and we can kill by our hatred towards others, then don't let your hatred and bitterness and wrath be exerted upon others. If God says not to commit adultery, but you're committing adultery with your own spouse, or you're committing adultery with God and your promises that you made to him, you sinned already. If you've allowed yourself to commit the sin of stealing, as God tells us, and you've allowed yourself to steal, maybe not physical things on this earth, but you're stealing time from God. You're stealing things from God. You're stealing what God has given to you. You've sinned already. If you've allowed yourself to covet and say, I wish I had that for my life, you've sinned already, the Bible tells us. How many times we've Broken commandment number nine of lying before God. God, I'll be in church. God, I'll read your word. God, I'll pray to you. God, I'll be sincere. But how insincere we can be. As a pastor, I, 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 there's always the desire and the prayer that God would so speak to hearts that we would be moved and we would respond to him. In fact, it's, all, it's, it's a prayer of mine that we would see even this altar itself filled with people who are responding to God. But may I say this? Forget the people who are responding to God. If there's only one or two people that have been hearers and therefore doers of the word, that's all that matters. It's not about just the motions. It's not about just the labor. It's about God. The Bible tells us insincere prayers Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, listen to this. But when ye pray, use not vain repetition, as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. How many times do we repeat the same thing to God? How many times do you begin your day in prayer? You begin your meal in prayer? You begin, uh, uh, you know, before you go to sleep in prayer? Whatever time you pray, and how many times do we vainly repeat ourselves? God, thank you for this day. God, thank you for our pastor. Thank you for our church. Thank you for our family. Thank you for this food. Use not vain repetition. The Bible tells us true worship to God is sincere. Think about what we're saying. You're talking to God Almighty. You're talking to God above. This is, this is a God, the creator, above. Matthew 12 and verse 34, the Bible says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth, speaketh. 
John Bunyan said this concerning prayer. In prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. It's pretty profound, isn't it? It's better to have a heart without words than, a, than words without a heart. The Bible tells us in verse 3 of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by a multitude of words. A fool's voice is known by a multitude of words. So just as many dreams show that a person is sleeping, uh, that is sleeping as a hard worker, you know, you sleep, you've had a hard day at work, right? This is what he's saying. You've had a hard day at work, you've been out working, you, you come back home and you sleep well. Why? Because you've been working. And if you, sometimes when you sleep well, you dream. The Bible tells us this, that so many words so that show that a person praying is a fool. You've got more to say and little to listen. You're, you're not living in obedience to God. Let me ask you, Christian, when was the last time you just let God speak to you? You just listened. I love taking notes in preaching. Sometimes I don't do it as much as I should, but I, I do enjoy it. It helps me to be able to have a resource to come back to. But you know what I found? Sometimes I just need to set that notebook and that pen aside and simply just listen. When I'm reading my Bible personally, rather than taking notes, just listen. And just reading and letting God speak to me. When I'm sitting and preaching and, and letting God speak to me, just listening. and Just letting God speak to me. Insincere prayers. You see, the prayer life is not just every time you get down on your knees and you fold your hands and you bow your head. The prayer life should be a daily walk with God. I mean, you're talking to God continually. Who says, nowhere in Scripture in prayer does it say, now, uh, after this manner, therefore pray ye. Uh, Our Father which art in heaven, and by the way, make sure that you fold your hands and get down on your knees and bow your head. Talk to God at any time. Amen? Our prayers must be at all times. But are your prayers of more listening than they are speaking? Talk to some truck drivers or even farmers, and they say, you know, I just like spending time with God. You know, I spend many hours, and I'm by myself, but I just get, I just get to spend time with the Lord. That's a wonderful thing, amen? That's great. To have that time, you're able to just think of, uh, think of things of God, talk with God. But may I encourage you, challenge you in this, maybe that fits your bill. Maybe that's you. Make sure you listen. Make sure you listen more than you pray. Let God speak to you. Ask God, Lord, what do you desire for my life? God, what am I not laying up treasures for you in heaven for? What am I not doing for you that I should be doing? What, how am I not committed to you as I should be committed? Insincere sacrifices, insincere prayers. Number three, insincere promises and commitments. Verse four, when thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For you have no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Notice verse 5. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow, than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. We're talking about the sin of making a promise before God with no intent to keep it. We're lying to God. Maybe that was you. You went to church camp. Maybe you gave your life to God. Whatever God would desire for me to do, I'm going to do it. Would that describe your obedience to him now? Maybe it was on this very altar, at this very church, that you gave your life to Christ. You said, God, I'm no longer going to, you fill in the blank. Are you still doing it? Are you still committed? 
The Bible tells us you'd be better off not even promising anything than to promise and lie to God's face. We, we all know some people we would call, well, they're just a blatant liar. <laughs> Truth be told, we can so blatantly lie to God more continually than we really like to admit. I wonder what promises have you made to God that you've not kept? What commitments have you made to God that you've not done? I remember as a, as a teenage boy, I'm 13 years old, knowing that God had called me to preach and having started working and having a job and, and you know, the older you get, you start thinking about college and then, and then once you hit college, you're like, man, I just want to get married, right? I want to have my car. And you start thinking about all of life, all these first things that you want to do. And I had to remind myself in all my laboring and all that I do, I give my life to God at age 13. I told God I was going to be a preacher. I've, that's a promise. Now, am I saying I'm perfect? No. Were there many times that I really debated? I wonder if I stopped doing this. Yes, many times. Unfortunately, to admit, but yes, many times. Let me ask you, Christian, with God being a forgiving God that he is, you may have made a, may have made a promise that you broke. Are you willing to ask God to forgive you of it? To commit yourself back to him. The Bible tells us of the insincere commitments, insincere promises. Verse 6, suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? There's two different kinds of promises he's talking about. Verse 4 and 5, he talks about those who are just lying to God. They give a promise, but they have no intent to keep it. In verse 6, we're talking about this sin of making a promise, but simply just debating about it, hoping to, to get out of it. Well, I, don't, I didn't really mean it. Verse 7, for in the multitude of dreams and many words, there are also divers vanities. That word divers speaks of many vanities. But fear thou God. That would be a good phrase to underline in your Bible. Fear thou God. God tells us here that some people make a vow because they live in a religious dream world. They think the words, their words are the same as their deeds. Well, I say it, that's as good as doing it. Be careful what you promise to God. God will hold you to that promise. You're better off not even promising to God if, if you can't follow through with your commitments. Notice the second thing the Bible tells us. Not only just worship does it, does, does it keep us from uh, enjoying the gift of laboring, but leadership. Leadership. Verse 8. If thou seest the oppression of the poor and violent perverting of judgment and justice in province, marvel not at that matter. That'd be, I'd underline that in your Bible. Marvel not at that matter. For he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there be higher than they. Moreover, the prophet of the earth is for all things. The king himself is served by the field. You say, what does that mean? The Bible's talking about those who are in authority over us. Whether it be government, whether it be your boss, whether it be your parents, no matter who it may be, the authority that's over you. You say, well, I don't understand why they're leading that way. Notice what the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes, verse number 8. Marvel not in the matter. Why? Because God's going to take care of it. Because though someone may think they're higher than the highest, we serve a God who's higher than the highest. Amen? Amen? That is our God. He's higher above all authority. It's God who's going who's to take care of all things. It's God who's in charge. 
Somebody says, but what about all the things that happen in our schools? What about all the things that's happening with the homosexuals? What about all the things that's happening in our churches? I agree with you. Those things are, 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 are frustrating. They're discouraging. They're, they're, they're not encouraging by any means. Here's what God says. Don't marvel at it. There's nothing to marvel about. Do you not understand that the Bible tells us all sin must be punished? Do we not remember that the Bible tells us that all those who are believers will go to be with Christ someday? God will return for his own. Amen? So why do we marvel at the fact of people getting worse into sin? Sin only gets worse. It only separates us farther from God. So what should we do instead of, of looking at the, the ones who are leading and pointing the finger at why they're not doing it right? We should simply enjoy the gift of laboring because it's a gift from God. Amen? Notice the next thing and the last thing. The Bible tells us of riches. Of riches. Worship, leadership, and riches. You can't read the book of Ecclesiastes without him mentioning some form of riches, money, wealth, possessions. Because this guy's got all kinds of money. <laughs> this guy's got everything you'd ever ask for. He's got all the riches ever, anyone could ever have. But within these next several verses... We are given several deceptions of riches that people allow themselves to believe concerning wealth. Several deceptions of riches. In reality, they're really robbing themselves from the very blessings of God. What are these deceptions? Notice verse 10. The Bible tells us the belief of the belief that wealth brings satisfaction. This is the deception of, of riches. That wealth will bring satisfaction. Verse 10. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. Nor he that loveth abundance with increase, this is also vanity. Hey, you want to find true peace? You want to find true rest? It's not going to be found in riches. You may have all the money in the world. You may have worked your job, put in those hours. You may have done all that you need to do, but it's not going to amount to a hill of beans if you're not laying up treasures in heaven. Amen? The Bible continues. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, look at verse number 11. I love this verse, if you haven't marked it. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, He hath made everything beautiful in where? In His time. The Bible tells us the human heart was made to only be satisfied by God. You're looking for satisfaction in possessions and riches, you're looking in the wrong place. True satisfaction, true rest, true peace, true happiness is found in God alone. Luke chapter 12, uh, the Bible tells us, and he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth, catch this, consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. Your life, all that you have to say for your life, when someday your life will come to an end, will not mean anything in comparison to what you've done for God. So the belief that wealth brings satisfaction, number two, the belief that wealth solves every problem. The belief that wealth solves every problem. Verse 11, when goods increase, they are increased that eat them. Notice verse 11, stay with me. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? So all of us, we can't argue that money is needed in life. <laughs> you need money to make a living. But it's not the magic cure to all. It doesn't solve every problem in life. You can have all the riches in the world. It won't mean anything. John Wesley said, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Would that be said of you? 
With what you've made, with what you've saved, you've also given much. And the giving has been first to God. There's some Christians that give more to missions than they give to God. I'm saying missions is given to God, but you should be given to God first. In fact, may I just say, in your giving and your riches, there's this clear difference between tithe and giving to missions. You may disagree with me with that. Study the Word of God. I'd be happy to sit down and talk with you about that. But there's a clear difference between what is already God's and belongs to Him and what is a gift. Amen? The Bible tells us the belief that money solves every problem. It doesn't. Number three, the belief that wealth brings peace of mind. Verse 12, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. Joe Lewis is a heavyweight boxing champion. I don't know him, but uh, no, uh, nor, nor do I know of him. But he said this, I don't like money, actually, but it quiets my nerves. You see, the common laborer sleeps better than the rich man, no matter how much he's eaten, the Bible tells us. So at the end of the day, that which should bring peace, rest, and contentment to you is because God has gifted you with labor. It's not because you worked a hard day. Yeah, we pat you in the back. Great, you put in 60-plus hours this week. And by the way, some of you are doing that. And what, 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 how, how committed you are to that, that's great. May I caution you? Are you committed to God first? So you rested well that night. You slept well. You got up the next morning to begin uh, working again. What about your work before God? How committed are you to him? There's never come a point, I've said this a moment ago, there's never come a point where you retire from serving God. There should never come a point where you say, I'm too young, in a few years I'll do it. Or when I'm married, I'll do it. Or when, I, when I'm more committed to other things, I'll do it. Or I'm trying to find my way first. No, if you put God first, then you'll find peace. Amen? Then you'll find rest. The Bible continues, the belief that wealth provides security. The belief that wealth provides security. Notice as we close in these following verses, there is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. So here you have the rich man who hoards all of his wealth. Notice what it says about him in continuing. But those riches perish by evil travail. And he begetteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. So you put in all the hours. So you've taken, well, taken good care of that which you possess, and you intend to pass it along. But what can be said of what you've done for God? What can be said of what you've done for Christ? Notice verse 16. The Bible tells us in this also. So another understanding. There's a man that hoards all of his wealth. Verse 16. And this also is a sore evil. That at all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. The Bible really talks about the rich man who hoards everything. On the other side, the poor man, or the, we may even say the average man who doesn't have much, but he's made some wrong investments. He's invested in the wrong things. He's given his money, he's given himself, he's laying up treasures for things on this earth and not for things of God. No one's saying you have to be rich and you've got to be able to give all your finance to God. Solomon speaks a context of, of, of wealth and finance because he was a very rich man. But at the end of the day, we should all give. Amen? And giving beyond 
that which already belongs to God. The Bible tells us, and we, we say the 10%, there's no, and the Bible doesn't give us that specific number, but there is a portion that belongs to God. So we give back to God because it already belongs to him. But what else are you giving? What else are you giving? Matthew chapter 6, verse 20. I read this already, verse 20 and 21. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt. Where thieves do not break through no steel. No man can steal it. No man can take it. It's not going to sit on a shelf and collect dust. It's not going to be passed down from generation to generation. What's on this earth will pass away, but what will last forever is that which is done for Christ. Amen? I read to you again, verse 20, the very last verse. For he shall not much remember the days of his life, because God answereth him, answereth him in the joy of his heart. Christian, here's, here's where the rubber meets the road. This is it. If you allow yourself to find joy in your labor because of God, you'll look back at everything you've done in life, what you have or haven't accomplished, and you say, you know what? I have no regrets because I've given everything to God. I've done my best for Christ. We sing the song, I wish that I had done my best for Jesus. Do we wish it? Do you wish it? Is that your desire? Oh, my prayer is that not just Community Bible Church, but that maybe through the ministry of Community Bible Church, we would help our community to understand that true peace, true riches, true value in life is found in God. We're the first ones to say, yes, the lost need the gospel. The lost can so clearly see the gospel when they look at our laboring and they see why we're laboring. And they see how committed we are to, in the midst of our laboring. Maybe you're here this morning and God maybe has touched your heart. Maybe your occupations come before God. Maybe family vacations, family times. I've seen families do this. They spend so much more time with family and they're so uncommitted to God, they're they're not in church. They're, they're, they're just out partying in some cases. Maybe you don't have a family per se. You're, you're by yourself. We've got, we've got a number of different ones, and praise the Lord for that. You're in that stage in your life. How committed are you to God? Are you giving your best for Jesus? Are you laying up your treasures in heaven? Or is the Lord's Day, Sunday night, the day that you get your rest? Physical rest from your labor on this earth, which has actually come from God, God's labor. He's given it to you. It's a gift. Or is the rest that you're finding in, uh, well, uh, you know, I just can't find time to read my Bible. I'm just so busy. It's, it's not saying that there's going to be, you know, peaches and roses and cream and, and everything, good little fuzzy feelings for every time that I, you know, pull out my Bible and I start reading or I pray to God. There must be sincerity in it. Sincerity. Here's, here's at the end of the day. If you don't want to do it, God says, don't do it. You'd be better off not doing it than going through the motions of doing it. We used to tell our teenagers in Texas this uh, uh, many times. They would come out to the youth activities, and they would say, I don't want to be here. And I would say, well, why'd you come? <laughs> you know, I'm glad you're here, but why'd you come? 
If you don't want to be here, you, you, why'd you come? And truth be told, God says the very same thing to us. Why are you doing it if there's no sincerity in it? Why are you doing it if, you, if you're not, by your actions, by your deeds, by the joy of your heart, doing it out of a love for Christ? Let's read about and every eye closed. You hear this morning, God spoke to your heart. You say, Pastor Miller, I realize I need to be laying up treasures for God in heaven. Not